To have passion in life is everything. What's your Everest? Oh, is it yeah. that 200 inch box? They just look so impressive when they're wide. Especially running away. <laughs> Welcome to this week's episode of Eastman's Elevated. It's like a think tank for outdoor activity. Sounds exactly like my hunting. Just always thinking about it, always trying to evolve it and make it better. Here's your host, Brian Barney. Hey, what's happening, guys? I got the second part of this Fred Bohm podcast I'm going to release here. Um, what a great conversation with Fred. Uh, he is so in, insightful and introspective and always trying to improve his hunting game and goes really hard. And it, it's just a really good back and forth between us, guys. So uh, I'm pumped to get to, to meet Fred and get to know Fred a little bit. And we'll definitely have him back on the podcast. But this second part is just as good as the first part. Just a, a great back and forth about improving your hunting game. Sponsor for today's show is Yeti Coolers. Yeti coolers, you know, they change the way I've hunt. Uh, they, they just keep ice longer. They keep things colder. You know, even on my wilderness hunts, I always have my Yeti cooler back at my truck. That way, if I if I'm able to harvest a mule deer or an elk and I get them back out, I can instantly get that meat on ice. Those coolers will keep ice longer, and so therefore you can keep ice on it even when you're on a five day hunt. You have ice back there, and so the minute you get that mule deer back, you can get them in the cooler, get them cooling down. Uh, also on truck hunts, it's just so nice to be able to keep cold food and actually uh, eat good food while you're on the hunt. And then if you do harvest something and say you're hunting with a group, you know, you can get your elk on ice or your deer on ice and you can continue to hunt for a few days and then process it when you get back. And so um, it's just absolutely changed the way I hunt. It also counts as a bear proof container in National Forest or BLM where they require that. Uh, if you don't have a, a, a cooler where you can stick a lock on it where it does class it is classified as a bear proof container, then you've got to hang your food 15 feet in the air, four feet away from the tree. You screw around with trying to get a, a header tree in there or find the right branch, get your, your, your rope tied over it. It's a pain where you could just have a Yeti cooler, throw a lock on it, and you're done. So uh, it's changed the way I hunt. They just make a, a great product and a great company. So thanks to Yeti for sponsoring the podcast. And with that, boy, we're just in the middle of hunting season here, just trying to get out good content to you guys and, and uh, trying to hunt as much as I can. Um, you know, I've got to manage that with responsibility and family and things, but it's just going great. Man, have I had some awesome adventures so far and, and just have some some more awesome ones here in the future. Uh, hunting elk and, and uh, mule deer here in Montana and um, what a what a great time of year where you're just going so hard and this is what this is what all the trainings for this is what all the hard works for uh, all the, the 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 mental strength training and and everything you've put in is for right now to go hard and and try to accomplish your goals I just love this time of year so um, I'm firing on all cylinders loving life here just gotta keep after it and and uh, keep after these elk and see if I can't get a good bull down but Let's get this conversation going. So this is the second part, me and Fred Bohm, uh, Eastman's Elevated. Here we go. Agreed. Agreed. You know, something that helped me really uh, a tremendous amount in the beginning is I took a little notebook in with me. And I'd get in the backcountry, and this was, you know, the beginning of my hunting career because I knew this would pop up. And maybe it was a discipline from other sides of my life, and I knew what, you know, excuses could do to you. But I would take this notebook, and every time I was sitting there, and I'd be like, 
and an excuse would come up like, oh, no, you should probably be home or something like work. I would write it down and I would write it down. And then like every and I'd have this list and then I would find a way to counter it when I got home. Like if it was a family issue. OK, next time you go in, well, what are you going to do different to make sure that doesn't pop up again? And you essentially what you're doing is you're writing down all of your excuses as they pop up and then you're finding ways to solve those so that you know next time. Or if it's just a loneliness thing, you're like, well, you know, you're going to be lonely in there. You know, for me, it, it what ended up having to be is just, you know, my a great family, very supportive. But, you know, my wife was like, well, I, I want to be able, you know, now with kids, especially be able to talk to you. So I got an inReach or you get yourself a sat phone. Well, that solves all those problems. Now that's kicked out of the window, you know, so you just you start checking off this whole list and then all of a sudden you have no more excuses. Now the excuse is I'm a big baby and I'm not going to stay in there. <laughs> so but that doesn't work for me. So so you end up staying in. I mean, that worked for me. I don't know if that would work for everybody, but I think that's a good way to kind of prep yourself so, for what's going to go on. I think that mental side of things and that loneliness side of things and, you know, just how you know, how alone you really are out there. If you're a solo hunter and, you know, typically I am, um, you know, what, you know, what that could end up doing to you. So it's a, good, a great way to prep for it. That's a great exercise. I really like that. And I think it's a, a good thing to bring that notebook with you. Like, it's like, I, I, I forget more than I've learned. Like a lot of times, like just yeah. writing <laughs> down, just yep. remembering dates and hunts and where you found animals and which sides of hills. And, and also like if, if you really want to get good at the wind, like I've talked about, it's a higher understanding of the winds, the thermals and the directionals. And it's, it's taking notes in your area, what the winds did and when they changed and, and just trying to take notes to everything you you learn so much about that country and it's so it's so easy not to take a notebook and not to scratch down and to be in the hunt but it's so easy to just bring a notebook and scratch those notes and and it'll make you twice as good a hunter and and i need to remember that as well i'm you know i'm notorious for not bringing my notebook or just going oh well i'm going here i've been there before i know what i'm but just bringing that notebook to write down your thoughts i think is so important and i need to practice that more yeah, and I mean it, that's I've I've been doing that for a good bit. And the thing is, you could even look back and be like, oh, all right. So the last year on this hunt, and you're writing down how frustrated you were. But I'm like, well, I killed on that hunt, so I was frustrated then. Maybe I'm frustrated now, but good things do happen, you know. So it you could kind of use that to keep the motivation going. And and I 100% agree. It's amazing how bad our memories are as humans. The way you see a hunt afterwards, all I remember is the good times, or all I remember is like the great things or the things I did correctly. Because that's what you want to do. That's just our ego getting into play. But then I look back in these notebooks and you're like, okay, well, this is how I screwed up last time. And then you could really remember and, you know, and, and, and try to fix that for the next go. Yeah, I really like that. Yeah, I'm going to I'm going to make sure I do that on every hunt I go on now. I I think it's such a great learning tool and so great to look back on and and like you say for for personal reflection and and for game animals, for wind, for, you know, hillsides, you know, whatever the case. I just think it's good to remember all those details, you know, cuz you're always thinking back now 2 years ago, what date was I over here? What date was right. it so yep. good? You know, and not that that you know, you can go on the 10th this year and on the 10th next year it's going to be insane, but there is a correlation there between dates and activity you see and things and so or weather yeah. patterns yeah. or yeah, who knows oh yeah yep. yeah exactly you could tie it to different weather patterns and when the the game movement switched on you know or or maybe even moon cycles i don't i'm not a big believer in moon cycles but i do know when there's a full moon the animals can feed all night so they're out less during the day but yeah you could you could start to see a correlation between those things between those patterns and in game animals and get up a higher understanding of the the game animals that you're hunting so man i think that's a great practice 
Yeah, and it gives you something to do when you're absolutely bored out of your mind. <laughs> that <laughs> midday lull while you're sitting back there, you're like, eh, give me something to write, you know. Gives me something to do at least. And, and I also use it because, I mean, I blog a good bit because I almost – it goes back to that same thing. It's like I want to be able to really remember how the story was because our memories are so terrible and you look back and everything was a great time and everything was easy. And that's kind of how I remember. Maybe that's just me. but That's how I remember everything. I don't remember the pain, but like it's really nice to be able to write stuff down. And then you look back and like, well, that was eight years ago. And, you know, and then you can see how you really felt. Then it's also great, you know, with guys like us who have kids like, you know, you could read what your dad did and how he felt like it, it you know, it's a journal. It's a great way of doing it. And you have it online and keep your pictures on there and blah, 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 so on and so forth. So yeah, I use that journal to kind of keep my, you know, remember how I, uh, how I really remembered the hunt or how the hunt really was, I should say. It's, it's great for reflection too. Like, um, I, I you know, I think, uh, when I'm back in the back country, like my life is almost crystal clear. Like I can almost dissect it and think about things and how I can improve and whether that's at, at work or, or the podcast or you'll have this great idea of this, this podcast and how it's going to go and how it's going to lay out and what you're going to talk about and the points you're going to make, lessons that you've learned. But if you don't write it down, you think you'll remember it, but two days oh, yeah. down the road, <laughs> it's gone. You know, you can yep. hardly even remember the concept of what you were thinking. And, and so you, you have these revelations back there, and it'd just be good to record it down on a piece of paper and be able to look back on. So I think I think it'd be really good just for catching my ideas as well and putting them down on paper. I, I need to remember that. I carry a notebook with me everywhere throughout work, and it's like I call it my Bible because it's got all my information in it. Um, yep. But yeah, lately I haven't been bringing them on my hunts like I used to bring them on every hunt, and I need to I need to practice that more. I think that is really important in, in the in improvement process of being a better backcountry hunter. Agreed. You know, it's worth a couple extra ounces. That's all it is. You know, a pen and a small, you know, little little notebook. I use these little field notebooks or whatever they are, but yeah, that's it. A couple ounces, it works great. Man, that's so me. Yeah, no, that's a uh, it just got me thinking about uh bringing it now. Now now I'm kind of embarrassed that I haven't brought one yet this season, <laughs> but um I'm going to start now, start fresh. But yeah, just so great to record those thoughts and feelings. So um but yeah, so that uh antelope hunt, you got it done on the first day, huh? It was crazy. First day, first stalk. I mean, I think it was uh I think that the arrow hit him at eight o'clock in the morning. So I um you know woke up, I was just out out in the plains. I was typically where, you know, antelope bar and um saw it was two bucks and then I just kinda wheeled around, did the typical thing. You know, it's not really backcountry for any antelope hunting. There's just so many roads out in BLM. And so I see these two, these two guys and they, you know, I just did the thing where you just slow roll, just don't stop. As soon as you stop the truck, boom, they know you're a hunter. So I just kept going, took an eye, you know, okay, they're over here and then just kept wheeling around and came up behind them. Uh, wind was pretty good and, but uh, it wasn't perfect because I got about, oh, I just saw their horns and just over this little ridge. And I'm like, okay, there they are. Perfect. Start crawling in. And I had my decoy and this was early in the season. You know, so they weren't rutting at this point, but the beauty of antelope is the curiosity. So I'm about 120 yards out. And then sure enough, felt the, you know, the wind on the back of my neck. And I'm like, oh no. So one of them popped up. So I'm like, well, you know, there's, there's got to throw, you know, lay all the cards out on the table here. So I, I popped though. Luckily I was, you know, assembling my decoy popped them up and then sure enough there was another buck that ended up uh, joining them so three of them started coming towards me and I'm like oh my this might this might actually work might actually pull this off so from 120 yards he came into um just shy of 60 
gave me a perfect broadside shot, you know, just curiosity is all it was. And, uh, you know, picked the biggest one and he just stood there and you, and that's if you could get draw behind the decoy and then the typical thing just pop up behind it. And they don't really know what's going on at that point. They're not, you know, saying, Oh, there's a human behind that antelope over there. So we didn't know. And just perfect shot. He ran, Oh gosh, I don't know, 30 yards and just boom, right down. Man, nothing better than that. I, I had the same thing this year. I killed my antelope the the first stock I made, and and I I love to hunt antelope. Like it's one of my favorite hunts of the year. But I had so many early August hunts, and and my season opened August fifteenth. But I I just wasn't able to go, and I was you know I was either getting ready to head on a trip or planning for the next trip or trying to get stuff done at the house here. And so I just thought I'd wait. Like I like hunting them during the rut too, and I. I yeah. had the blessing of living, you know, out west here, uh, where I can go hunt them in the evenings. If I get a free evening or a free day, I can go hunt antelope. And so I just kind of waited, and then I, I got back from that Colorado trip and got some things done, and the weekends, you know, showing up. And I thought, well, I'll go out this morning. I go to this spot, you know, it's about an hour drive from my house, which you know I can hunt them ten minutes from my house, but there's this spot about an hour away. And yeah, I just showed up out there and. Same thing. I caught a group of bucks out there. I just played it really patient and just like kept working in on them, had a decent wind, kept working in, and they were on a flat, and I could kind of take this lull to them and then set up by a piece of sagebrush. And same thing, get within about 100 yards, and they just kind of fed into me and then pick out the biggest buck in the group, which was a shooter for me, and put a good shot on them, and you know, it was dead within 10 seconds or so. But man, are those things fun to hunt. Just the... Uh, the the experience you get like we were talking about earlier they're just a, a great quarry for for bow hunting agreed and if you could catch them in the rut i usually you know because time you know mid early mid-september hits i'm out and uh you know hunting elk or mule deer but uh yeah if you could hit them in the rut i don't know if there's a more aggressive animal out there they are just come in and charge oh it is so much fun those things are brutal when it comes to the uh, the rut itself. So if you get a chance to, I mean, I'm sure you have, but any of the listeners, you get a chance to do it during that time, man, whew, that's a, that's an adrenaline rush for sure. Well, I'm pumped. I've got a couple of my Hawaii buddies coming out um, that are going to hunt with me out here, and they have antelope tags this year. So they saw a bunch of antelope when they were out here last year. So this will be their first chance to hunt antelope. Now, I'm almost ex- exclusively spot and stock. I just... You know, I just learned so much from it, but um, I have used a decoy like a couple times before. I think my dad's got a decoy that I'm going to borrow. And um, so those guys were asking about a decoy, so I'll let them use that one. But you've had good success with those decoys during the rut? I During the rut, yeah. I mean, they're, again, I don't want to make it sound like you pop up that decoy and everything's just, you know, hunky dory. Like those. It sometimes will just completely blow them out. So early season, what I typically do is I'll only use them on bachelor groups of bucks. If there's happens to be a buck with a doe at that time of the year, which it seems that, you know, antelope, you'll see that more often than say you wouldn't like an elk. Um, if there's some does around there, they seem like they'll just scoop up the does. They're not looking for a fight at that point and they'll just pull them away. But if you could get a couple, you know, a couple bucks together or even a solo one, I've had a lot of success with that. I don't, it's not the aggression in the early part. I think it's just strictly a curiosity or maybe they think a buddy's coming over to play or something. Um, so I've had some pretty good experience in that situation. And then during the run itself, if you could get in close enough, it's not like you're not going to hike in from 500 yards away and just hold up this decoy. And, you know, they'll usually pull the group out from there. But if you could spot, you know, get into that that 100 yard range or maybe, you know, a little bit more, 
and pop that thing up the majority of the time. I would say those guys get real aggressive. They'll charge in a little bit, stand sideways, stomp around, maybe try to get downwind. And usually when that's going on, uh, it gives you a shot. And the other beauty is, it, you know, it hi- you know it'll hide your draw cycle for you. So that's one of the toughest parts with those guys. You might be able to lay down and get in close, but to actually draw your bow, you know, sit up, draw your bow, and get a shot off, that's where I think it gets difficult sometimes. Um, how do you get those stakes to stick in the ground? Like my <laughs> one experience with the decoy, I think I've used it like maybe a couple times, and I used it this one season. And so I, I like what you're saying about getting in close, almost like elk calling, where you're not going to bugle at that thing the whole time chasing them. Like right. you want to get in close into that fight or flight range, like inside a hundred yards or just as a rough guideline, and then you pop it up because those bucks are just those herd bucks. They're crazy chasing around all those satellite bucks, just trying to keep them out of the herd so i can see where that would really work good so my one experience with it is i crawled in i got in close and then i popped up the decoy and i'm trying to get it into the dirt and this this buck just ran in on me like he was 30 yards or so i think i missed him because i didn't have a good range as you know you'd hit a range and then he'd be five yards closer you know running at you and i finally got a stake to sit in the ground but my decoy was falling over and i was trying it it was a cluster it was it was not uh I, i did not want a bunch of people watching me on that stock because i was a mess out there trying to get a shot but what's your secret for trying to get those things to stick in the ground well let me caveat like the experience i just told you is maybe five percent of the time usually what happens is the wind picks that thing up throws it into the air and i'm completely (laughs) busted so it's the, the trick is you get lucky and you get yourself a soft patch of dirt and you just bash those stakes in and then you get behind it but a lot of times what i'll try to do is and it goes back to that um the stalking side of it, you don't want them to see you at all, and you're coming up from behind them, preferably. So usually they're not going to see you right away. I, I stake that in. I've had times where like they're laying down still, and I've, I've had that staked in, and it'll take a minute. You know, they turn their head, and then all of a sudden, like, oh, whoa, there's you know, there's a buck behind me. Then they'll get up. So everything's already set up at that point. But if you're going in and you know they're looking at you, or you're, you're you know using a bush to hide you, and then you pop that thing up. That's hit or miss, you know. <laughs> you could definitely get that where they charge you and everything just turns into a complete cluster and the thing's flying in the air, you got that windy day and then you're just stomping off and calling yourself an idiot at that point. Okay, I like your honesty and I'm glad I'm not the only one. <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> yeah, a partner... I, I always like to tell the stories where I'm successful, but believe me, there's 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 many more times that I'm not, so well, and a partner may be a good thing on that decoy, yeah, too, yeah. where you can get somebody to kind of hold it up and definitely need to be safe drawing your bow when you're with a partner and you're both trying to hide behind a decoy. But but a partner would really be advantageous on something like that. Sure. And I've heard of guys using it. I haven't done it yet, but um, and I actually got some buddies out right now that are hunting and uh, they made a cow. So it, real big because it's going to be it's you know, he's bringing his cousin out. It's going to be his first hunt. And uh they're doing exactly that. He wants to film it. So he, he, they, they built this cow and they have a slot in there so we could get the camera in it. And I've heard guys having a lot of success with that as well. But, uh, yeah, I'll probably let you know more after this, uh, you know, after the next couple of days and see how they do with the thing. So. Yeah, I'd like to hear. Well, um, antelope are always living in cattle country. I have sure. a, yep. a buddy that's used that as well to be successful. Yeah. But that would, that would really work good for filming. Um, do you film any of your hunts, Fred? I don't. You know, I, I mean, I come from a background of uh, filming. I was in, oh, geez, I, I did a lot of work back in the day for 
North Face Oakley, and you know, I was in the ad agency world. I was a uh, um, a motion designer, so you know, video uh, editor and a uh, um, uh, motion graphic artist. So I did that for years. Maybe I just got burnt out of that, and uh, so I don't do a lot of video. I do a lot of photography, though. Yeah, I, you're known for your photography, is why I ask. Yeah, and that's you know, I, I'm going to try to get back more into the video and try to get that passion rekindled. Um, but I just love the photography because I love like seeing how I could uh, tell a story through one image. It's kind of neat. It's extremely tough because, you know, there's, there's no – obviously, there's no voiceover to explain what's going on. There's no music to set the mood. There's no, you know, any any kind of motion to, to show you what's going on. So trying to capture that in one still image is uh, it's pretty fascinating to me. So I, I really enjoy it. And it's, you know, as of the last couple of years, become just as important uh, uh, as hunting itself for me. Like I, I always have that camera. You know, it's, it's carrying another between six and – Six and nine pounds worth of gear into the backcountry, but uh, I made a deal with myself a while back that anytime I go hunting, that's my camera's going with me. Oh, how cool! Well, a picture's worth a thousand words, and when done right, they're just amazing. And I, I am hooked on on good photos as well. And and I'm the same way. I I I enjoy that almost as much as I enjoy hunting. And to get really good photos, you have to be doing really cool things. Like you can't just that's go it. out in your backyard and take this epic photo that's going to tell this story. You know, like where with everything propped up. But when you're actually in the field and you're hunting and you're doing cool things, like you're hunting that that Colorado backcountry. Country, thousands of images that I brought back from Colorado this year that I'm so proud of that I just yep. can't wait to share. But but yeah, when you're back doing cool things like living in this remote gnarly country and in hunting these majestic mule deer, it's amazing. Like the the pictures you can grab. And yeah, I always call it my million dollar shot. And on every hunt, I'm looking for my million dollar shot. And and so I've never made a million dollars off a shot. But you know what I mean? Like just capturing exactly. that yep. shot yep. that captures the essence of the hunt. Like I have this one of this giant caribou bowl that my buddy was hunting with his bow and i i got this shot with him out of focus and his bow and the caribou bedded right in front of us you know in focus like just right in the moment and able to click you know some of those shots but yeah those mean to, as much to me as anything like i love capturing good photos but it's it's just doing cool things and then it's it's um experience just like hunting right the more time you spend with your camera the more time you learn about your camera just the better shots you can get well, listen, and the beauty is too, like this day of age is digital cameras. You know, you get instant feedback. You could take a look at this image, like you just shot him. Like, what's going to make this better? How can, you know, what can I do with lighting to make it more interesting? Like, what's the subject doing in this picture? How can I, you know, get that subject to tell the story or, you know, and then, and then hunting itself just lends itself really well to photography. Cause, hey, like, exactly like you said, we're in some of the most insane areas and most beautiful areas and rugged. And, you know, there's so much you could do with just the landscape itself. And then we're up during the golden hours, you know, we're up there in the morning. I mean, there's a little bit, <laughs> I definitely have a little bit of competition with glassing time and then taking photos. Cause they're both, you know, that happens to be the best, uh, best light for taking photos and the best time to be looking for animals. But, uh, you know, we're, we're just in these, beautiful places in the perfect time and uh you know and there's some downtime with hunting as well so you can kind of get out there and you know and really get creative with your imagery and uh yeah i just i think it's and i think it's cool to be able to look back you know and just have these phenomenal pictures that like tell so much about your life you know what it's it's only the last i don't know not you know that not that long in history that we've been able to do that and really be able to tell these stories about ourselves and uh, 
And, and, you know, and then the beauty is you start, you know, coming up with your own styles. And, you know, there's certain photographers I follow that are known for the landscapes or known for their portraits or, um, you know, or their extreme close ups or the, the macro photography. Like, and these people get, you know, or just the wildlife photography, especially in hunting. Like, you get some really cool things and people get known for certain things. I, I love it. I mean, I, I, I spend so much time on Instagram, you know, not for any of the BS or any of the political or any of the weird, like just looking at photos. And I appreciate, you know, the amount of work some people put into them and um, how you just don't fall into a good photo typically like they're, you know, they're created. They're not just handed to anybody. So it's, I don't know. It, it's just an extreme passion of mine for sure. Oh, it, it is just amazing. Yeah, and Instagram, there's, well, there's so many great photographers out there. And I, I like what you said, like the style, like everybody kind of has their own style. And you would think there's only three or four styles that you can shoot, but everybody kind of has their own signature with their photography or you develop your own signature uh, of what you like and, and how you frame shots and, and what you're looking to capture. Um, so that's pretty cool to see. But there's a, a, a bunch of amazing photographers, including yourself on Instagram that I just love looking at. Well, thank you. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and it's, it's inspiring to me, too. You see these pictures and you're like, you just want to get out there, you know, and I think that's such the like, that's the cool part about it. Like I, I go through Instagram and I'm like, oh, caribou. Like I didn't even thought about caribou. And look at this. You know, you look at this insane image like I want to go up there. and I want to go hunt that. I want to go take pictures of that. So it gives you a lot of inspiration. It gives you a lot of motivation maybe to go to places you've never been before, um, you know, helps open your mind up where you get out of your your little comfort zone, your little bubble of your local areas, and uh, it gives you a little window into um, you know what you could get out there and explore. Yep, and you're exploring more and more now, right? You're going to to different states or more than you've ever gone to. Yeah, yeah, and I think that's just um, I, you know I, I I've done it throughout my life. Like I, I've you know I've always traveled a lot for whatever sport I was doing, but um you know and at first with hunting I thought it was kind of like oh well, you you know you really it's expensive or, you know, maybe what a lot of people think or, oh, I, I wouldn't even know where to, um, you know, I wouldn't even know where to hunt in Wyoming. But then you've got something like Eastman's and, you know, you start reading in there and you're like, oh, OK, so now I'm getting some insight into some GMUs, not to plug you guys there. But, <laughs> That's perfect. but you know, like it gives you some like insight into some other areas you could go and then you, that's the beauty of social media is people sharing these things. That's, you know, what really got me into um Wanting to go to New Zealand, I'm like that place is epic. I mean, that's like, I mean, it's obviously where um, um, Lord of the Rings was filmed. You see these insane mountains. I'm like, I want to go hunt there and you know shoot dwarves or orcs or whatever they had in that movie. <laughs> but you know what I mean? Like, it's just like it's so beautiful. Like, and it, it you know we have so much access to seeing um, just all these different beautiful places in the world, and there's hunting everywhere or most places I should say. But, uh, you know, so it, it's definitely inspired me to go explore more, go see more things. And, um, yeah, yeah. And then, and, you know, just, and then it's just a matter of putting it all together and, uh, and committing to it. Oh, I want to go to New Zealand so bad. That's on my list. Which Island did you go to? Uh, both. So I did, um, seek a deer, which is, I guess it's different than sick. I didn't know that before this hunt. Uh, <laughs> So some guys, I'm actually, I have a, a, a buddy that's coming out from New Zealand. We kind of traded hunts, and I'm going to take him out muley hunting on uh, Friday through next week. Oh, nice. Um, but yeah, it was great. I mean, met these guys, and, um, um, you know, they set up, we, so we did a Sika deer hunt on the North Island, 
and then jumped down to the South Island and through some friends. They had a, um, a friend of a friend. They had a farm there. So I went after uh, fallow deer. But the big one was then we went down to the, um, you know, the Southern Alps and did tar. Ooh, that's what I oh. really want to do, too. Those oh, things are man. beautiful. Oh, my God. They're like – I don't even know how to describe them. They're like – like have a lion's mane to them, and I mean they're just – they're beautiful. And the, and the terrain they're in is just insanity. Like where these go, like these things live, it's just – it'll blow your mind. And it's – you know, and it's – you can hunt year-round. The people are extremely friendly. The hut systems are phenomenal. Um, I, I can't say enough about it. It's – yeah, it's – should be on everybody's bucket list. Uh, it's definitely on mine, yeah. I've been trying to – put a trip together it's not going to happen this year but um i'm close to it man i, I really want to get out there and see it yeah the country is just so beautiful like i love that that tar country that you're talking about that above tree line just yeah. gnarly high country um and then just such a beautiful animal to chase around too were you successful on tar yeah i managed to get two of them so i i definitely lucked out on that um it was yeah it was a heck of an experience i mean we we did the whole thing, the helicopter ring, because a lot of it, they almost treat – I mean they don't have the infrastructure, I would say, that we have, so you're not getting into a lot of these valleys. There's no other way in. I mean you – and it's so thick in some areas to think about going a couple ranges back. You could be talking about weeks. You know, It's just – it's crazy. So you, you typically what you do is you helicopter in. We got dropped off at a hut. Use that as base camp, and then we were going. You know, we all brought our um, uh, all of our camping gear and whatnot to get up higher. But we were just so successful right outside of that hut that yeah, we just kind of stayed around there. And you know, I mean, it was huge hikes every day, massive vert to get up where they were. But uh, yeah, very successful. It was I think we got five of them all together between um, between four of us. And all good bulls. So yeah, we're we're very successful. And you know, and they warned me like this is not like this every time. So don't you know we got extremely lucky. Oh man, uh, what an experience! Yeah, that's that's how my buddies did it too. Is uh, helicoptered in, and then I I don't think they stayed at a hut. They tried to live kind of on top of the mountain, but they had a lake that they kind of base camped out mm-hmm. of, and then would take daily treks. But yeah, just put on the high country miles and the vert to get up there into tar country. It sounds like they can live in some some extremely gnarly country up there. But how cool! What a great experience, Fred. Uh, are you going to go back and do it again? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, these guys, I mean, it, it, I don't think I don't think a week doesn't go by. They're like, OK, December, we're doing this on January. We're doing I mean, these guys hunt year round. I mean, I, maybe it's just how like the work works out for those. Guys, but I think it's like they almost do like a week a month, it seems like. And they're just always like, OK, we're going to go here. We're going to go here. We're going to go here. You know, most of it is just hunt year round. But they do have some uh, what they call blocks. But it's the same thing. It's like, you know, a draw system for us. Because they do have elk, and you know that's like a draw system down in uh, the fjordlands, and so there's some areas and some tar areas. It is a block system, uh, so I'll be putting in for that and seeing if I could draw that, and then you could put a couple of those guys on that same tag, and they're gonna, you know, vice versa. So yeah, yeah, definitely um, planning on doing that this this upcoming year, and then this time I think I'll uh, I'll definitely uh, take the family with as well. Last time was kind of exploratory to see, you know, try to feel it out, but this time take the family with. <laughs> 
us as humans, we're just meant to explore. It just um, Amen. it's yep. so fun to go to new places, and and I just love uh, uh, hunting new habitats and 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 new species. I love the challenge of it. I love immersing myself in it, like learning the habits of the animals and their different tendencies. And um, there's just nothing funner than to to me than than exploring like that. And a lot of times, these once in a lifetimes they start turning into once a years after you do it uh-huh. because it's just so <laughs> much fun. It's like I'll you know, I'll save and work year round to just put enough in in my pocket or enough in my account to be able to go do this again because it is it's such a special experience. It sounds like that New Zealand is one of those trips. Exactly. And again, when we went back to before, after I did it and I look back and start going through the receipts, it was not that expensive. You know, you could spend a heck of a lot more like, I don't know, if somebody wanted to go on a cruise somewhere or something. Oh, this is way cheaper. I mean, this is a plane ticket. And once you're there, you know, if you get, especially if you get a couple guys together, you split the car, the rental, you know, you could do it's, it's not, it's not as crazy as you, you, you might think, you know, I think it's pretty accessible to the blue collar guys like us. It's just about anybody could do it. And you're a hundred percent right. Once you do it once, it's, that's it. You got the bug. You're going to go back. Oh man, it sounds amazing. And you said you spent a month out there. Is that what you said? A little over three weeks. Wow, that that's yeah. the way to do a trip too. Uh, did you get to to do or experience any of the fly fishing there? I didn't. You know, I haven't fly fished for a couple years, and I know it's phenomenal there. Um, so I didn't. I was just so you know I had the horse blinders on, and it was just hunting, hunting, hunting. But uh, yeah, I know it's top notch out there for it, sure. That's the way I am too. Like I. Uh, fishing is a second love for me, and I love to go travel around and fish, whether it's steelhead. But New Zealand just has some giant browns and, and yeah. these crystal clear spring cricks. And, like, I, I would want to go try it, but, I, I you know, I'm kind of like you. Like, when I go to Hawaii, the hunting is so much fun and such a great experience that I almost can't break away from it. You know, those yeah. axes, I'm so hooked on hunting those things. And then, you know, the mouflon and the goats and the other things you, you have that you can do there. And I almost save all my time for that, but um, – yeah, I was just wondering if you tried it out there because I know it's such insane fly fishing out there. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, the guys will treat it the same way as like the hunting. Like they'll get flown into these, you know, way out there areas, stay in a hut or a camp or whatever it may be. And yeah, these streams, like, you know, talking to the guys out there, a lot of them, I mean, these guys are really into um, uh, scuba diving and going for uh, lobster. I mean, I never had, I was out and we're in the backcountry and these pulls out these four giant lobster tails and i'm eating lobster and you know in the back it was unbelievable I mean, it was just so <laughs> random but like spoiled me for sure but no no i didn't get a tr- i didn't get a chance with the fish i know it's good but i think if i go back again you know what i'm probably just gonna hunt again <laughs> uh, yeah i can't so blame you it sounds like so much fun and you you definitely don't want to take away from that experience and hunting is my first love so i i think i'd be you know in the same boat you are but boy they sure got some good fly fish and i'd love to yep. experience as well maybe a guy can just take a like you did like take a month and go try to experience it all out there but um you, you definitely run out of time too you do you do there's only yeah. so many hours in a day yeah, that spear fishing is wild. Like you talk about those guys getting lobsters. Like that's a whole nother experience. So you go to Hawaii, there's great hunting, but but my buddies they they spear fish out there and and spear fish like it's it's kind of like bow hunting, you know? It's, it's a, a lot like yeah, yeah. You're, you're hunting those things, and then um, there's so much to it. Like my Hawaiian buddies, they just come natural to them in the water, and they've been doing it so long. They hold their breath and can breathe out of the snorkels. And I'm a good swimmer, and I can you know I'm in good shape and good fitness, but 
it's just foreign to me, you know? So it takes yep. me a little while to get my bearings with the waves coming in and then having to hold your breath and dive, you know, and we were only diving 10, 15 feet under under the surface, you know, but still it's tough to hold your breath, but you just snake around like these these rock canyons and chutes and you're looking for the right fish to, to then loose your spear on. But that's a pretty cool deal as well. There's just so much to experience in life, isn't there? Exactly. I mean, I've done a ton of spear fishing down in Mexico, did some in Philippines, you know, the, the Caribbean. And it is, it's, it's, it's all of a sudden you're like, there's another extension to bow hunting, really. You're just doing it underwater and some, you know, and not my most native uh, environment, that's for sure. But yeah, it's, it's, uh, there's so many things that do. Life, it, yeah, <laughs> it's just, you can fill your time up endlessly. This whole work thing's got to stop and just play needs to be, uh, <laughs> Work needs to be the new yeah work gets in the way of good fun doesn't it it does amen to that yeah a necessary evil though it's um good yeah. to support a household and family and it, it's good to have these trips that you look forward to and go exactly. on you know yep. um but yeah if it, that's your every day would you really enjoy it as much you know you look forward to these things you look forward to the planning you look forward to you know the execution and talking about it afterwards you, you need the work you need you know it's otherwise it, always, it becomes the same thing it becomes your normal yeah, absolutely. Yep. No. Um. Well, man, it's so fun to talk to you, Fred. Uh, we connected on so many levels. We have to do this again. We should touch bases here after the hunting season. Absolutely, Brian. No, man, I appreciate you having me on, and uh, yeah, I'd love to talk with you again. Yep. And where can guys find you on Instagram? Instagram just Fred Bohm, F R E D B O H M. Uh, you can find me on there, and then my my blog, same thing, fredbohm.com. Uh, you can find me on either one of those. Oh, that's great. So, yeah, you'd mentioned that blog. So you do a, a personal blog. How often do you post on it? I'm trying to get better about it. I was I'm probably about every other week, um, typically more during the hunting season. But I'm trying to get more into the – a um, little bit more instructional in the photography. You know, try to help because I get a ton of questions with guys. And I feel like, well, you know, if I could cater to the hunting guys and see how I could, you know, give a little bit of instruction, what's going to be – very specific to hunters out there and what makes a good picture. And especially, you know, a lot of guys ask questions about trophy shots and how they can make their trophy shots a little bit better. So I got a lot of information on that and I'm going to really be pumping in uh, a bunch of more blog articles on that as well. Man, how cool. And you, so you post those along with your photos? Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I'll, I'll um, yep. Blog, write stories and I'll write, you know, here and there in some of the magazines and stuff like that. But, you know, mostly through the, through the fredbone.com and then yeah i post instagram i'd say at least once a day oh how cool um well yeah i'm definitely going to check out your blog i love your instagram and yeah thanks again for being on and uh let's touch bases again after your hunting season absolutely brian best of luck on your upcoming hunts man okay thanks sir appreciate it all right guys that's a wrap uh really fun two-parter with fred uh just great conversation um, just so fun to have these long form conversations with with really good hunters and everybody's got a different angle or perspective but then we all have common ties and common things we do and you can just you can learn something from everybody and uh, you can especially learn something from Fred he's a great hunter a great photographer and uh, I, I really enjoyed uh, this episode and, and uh, meeting and getting to know him we'll definitely have him on again but um, sorry, a little congestion on my end. Gosh, I caught a little quick cold here. It only took me about a week to kick it, but yeah, your immune system just gets run down as you're running yourself ragged, you know, not getting enough sleep and 
and uh, traveling a bunch, putting on a bunch of miles, your immune system kind of gets worn down. It's just typical to get a cold during hunting season, but uh, it's just the way it is. I haven't been sick for over a year, so I've definitely missed a bunch of uh, sicknesses going through the house here. So I'm pretty fortunate. Body kicked it quick, so um, I'm doing good, but you can still hear just a little bit hanging on. Uh, but yeah, I just can't wait to, to continue to get after it here, man. It's just, um, it's amazing. Hunting season's finally here. Oh, I, I want to thank our sponsor too, uh, Yeti coolers, uh, just make great coolers. Gosh, they, they go with me on every hunt I make, whether it's wilderness, national forest, whatever I'm doing, they just keep ice longer. Uh, they're built burly. They're just a quality cooler. Um, you know, I can say now I'm a quality cooler guy. They just, they have their place in, in hunting and, and definitely changes the way I, I hunt and scout. So thanks to Yeti for sponsoring the podcast. And, uh, yeah, with that, just going to keep after them. Man, oh man, I love this elk hunt. It's so thrilling, so exciting. They're bugling, they're calling. I, I'm going to go with my dad on this Wyoming mule deer hunt and, uh, we'll have fun. Hopefully we can turn up a good buck. It's a rifle tag for him. So, um, we'll go on that. When I get back, Hawaii guys are here. We're going to be hunting around my home Valley here for a couple weeks, chasing bulls around. So hopefully help those guys be successful. Um, you know, it's, you're just trying to make all your, your buddies around you better. Um, you know, you're trying to be a positive influence and, and friends and family really means the most to me in life. And so, you know, we just got done with this, just did a quick trip with my buddy Dan and Clint and uh, Clint had an antelope tag and just put down a slam and antelope, you know, a, a buck. It was just like that extra effort. Clint was making a stock and I walked out to this point just to look off of it and there's this giant buck that's 15, 16 inches long, 80 inch antelope and he's by himself. So able to get Clint a stock on that and help him and and then likewise, you know, help help Dan out. You know, we're hunting new areas for elk this year, but I'm really familiar with the area and done a ton of scouting. We went down there and found elk and um, got on a good bull and, and then... Uh, you know, we came and I, I had to get back to work and pour some concrete here, but Dan's right back over there in those areas we scouted and he was on that good bowl again. I just heard back from him and then he shot a really nice buck, um, caught a bachelor herd of bucks over there and really tall, big backs. And so he was stoked. He put a good arrow in that thing and was able to harvest that. And like I say, going to help my dad out and help these Hawaii guys out. And you're just trying to, to make the people around you better. And it always comes back to you twofold. You know, you, you always get paid back and, and, uh, just having these good relationships and people you can share these hunts with and get excited about them with and, and people that, that treat each other right. You know, that, um, really respectful to each other and you know i i i just i love me and my circle of friends how we share info and my buddies tell me something like um they're they're never um you know they're they're never lying about where they're at or what they saw or hiding things from me they just tell me all the information the exact places they were and and likewise i do the same with these guys and so we you just can gather so much knowledge you know having a team of guys that are out there busting the hills and busting their butt to get into critters and so um I just love helping buddies and see them being successful, and and uh, I know it equates to my own success. And and uh, you, you're just uh, what is it? I, I'm always thinking of sayings that I that I like, and then I can't remember the saying. I'm the worst about it. But uh, what is, the, the, oh, I'm trying to think of the one that where a, a tide rises all ships or. Um, the ocean, god dang it, I'm horrible. I can't think of it here early in the morning. I've been pouring too much concrete. My brain's just uh, not firing here, but uh, 
tide rises all ships. I know you guys are thinking about it, yelling at this podcast right now. The the seas rise all shit. Oh, I'm never going to think of it. I'll think of it on the next podcast. Uh, I love those little sayings uh, that, that relate to what I'm talking about, but then I can never think of them. I was with Dan this weekend, and I was I was trying to think of the uh, – what is it? Now I can't even think. The, the pot calling the kettle black or uh, – Oh God! And I said, "What the kettle calling the stove black?" Or I'm, I'm horrible. I should just, uh, I should totally abandon these sayings because I could never think of them. But they're such great sayings when they relate to what you're talking about. Uh, but, anyways, that's a wrap. Uh, great conversation with Fred. Uh, really fun podcast, and and uh, just gonna continue to grab content here and hunt like a madman. And um, got just amazing photographs and videos for this season that, that, you know, I'll use that content all year long. So really psyched to share that with you guys. And then, um, just keep putting together these podcasts. I'm going to put out a, a solo elk one here. Just, um, you know, I've been hunting elk now. It's only for a weekend, but still it just brings it. I just get this flood of just ideas and, and, uh, theories and, and, and things on elk hunting. And I just hunt elk a bit different. You know, I'm, I, I'm definitely not the, the calling guy, you know, and I've called in a ton of bulls over the years and it's really effective and works well. Um, but I, I love this, like, coyoting the herd and traveling with the herd and trying to cut them off or follow them to their bed and and get them down so it just have so many thoughts and i you know and i do believe like it produces the biggest bulls out there the biggest herd bulls you know they um you know they don't always come into a call they do if you get your timing right and you time it right but you know out of a a month-long season or a six-week season you know what are the odds that you're going to time that bull right where he's going to come in or not have a bunch of cows so i just have a bunch of theories on elk hunting and killing big bulls and and it all relates to even if you call it relates directly to that and i'll tie it in with with how you work in close and work the herd and stay with them and call them in so just a bunch of theories and ideas and thoughts on on elk hunting and how i treat elk season and and, uh, and it produces a good six point for me every year. And, and uh, you know, I've, I've killed some nice bulls over the years. I, I really want that that next level. But we always want more as hunters. I mean, it's what motivates us and keeps us working hard. And, and it's part of the process that I enjoy, too. But um, I love hunting elk, and we're right in the middle of it right now. And so I want to get out a really good elk hunting podcast for you guys to listen to while you're elk hunting, you know, or while you have a break in the middle of the day or while you're traveling to elk country. Is uh, I'm just so fired up about hunting elk right now. But... All right, you guys, uh, that's an episode. Uh, thanks a million for all the support on the, the podcast and things. We've we've really created a great community, and, and uh, you know, we, we have our audience, and I really feel like our audience is the hardcore, you know, bow hunters or hunters or the, the guys that are really trying to improve and get better. Um, I, I just like – I feel like our community is like this hardcore niche, and I, I see you guys being successful and, and harvesting great critters, and just nothing can make me happier is, is I want our community to succeed and and, um, and get better and improve. So I uh, really appreciate all the support. That's a wrap. Check in with you guys next week.